Welcome to another episode of the View from the Bridge podcast, the Chelsea podcast from football.london. I'm Scott Trotter and today I'm joined once again by Bobby Vincent. How are you doing, Bobby? I'm good, Scott. How are you, mate? Yeah, not too bad. Um, It's been another exciting week for Chelsea Football Club. The Premier League has started. They've signed players. They've seen players leave. It's been a busy few days, and I bet you're struggling to stay awake, Bobby. <laughs> yeah, um, it's definitely been a busy few days. The the actual football has almost taken a step back of all the transfer drama, which I'm sure we'll get into in a second. Yeah, Chelsea versus Liverpool. Um, and I guess ultimately Chelsea won. They have signed Moises Casido for £100 million that could rise to 115 million with add-ons. Uh, I think the club expect that they'll end up paying a similar fee to Enzo Fernandez with half of those add-ons deemed easily achievable. Um, a massive signing for Chelsea. They have fulfilled that defensive midfield role um, to allow Enzo Fernandez some freedom after, I guess, weeks and months of trying now. It's one that we sort of expected to go on to deadline day until Liverpool threw a spanner in the works late last week and had a bit accepted for Caicedo. Um, but the midfielder ultimately decided he wanted to join Chelsea and that kind of put an end to Liverpool's chances in the transfer market for Caicedo. Um, massive, massive signing, I guess. Arguably, maybe a fee that is too big. I guess just your reaction to that signing and just how big a deal of it is for Chelsea. Yeah, it's a massive deal, Scott. Um, yeah, I think Liverpool have done us a favour, really, um, in terms of it not dragging on anymore because I think it was one destined for the final days of the transfer window. Um, yeah, it, it's just one that's been going on for months, but it seems even longer than that, really, because we, we know, we've know we known for a while that Chelsea, Chelsea have liked Caicedo. Um that was interest in January, but of course, they were almost, I guess, focusing on Enzo Fernandez back then, and they eventually got that done on deadline day. And then it was always sort of their plan to invest in the midfield again in the summer. And Caicedo told Brighton that he wanted to leave the club, but he supposedly had a promise from um, some, some very senior officials at Brighton that he would be allowed to go if they got the right price. And yeah, we, when we anticipated it, we knew that Brighton would be themselves be a very um, tough club to negotiate with. But, but it's completely understandable. I mean, what what, what Brighton have done um, in recent windows to sell some of their best players—they've done some fantastic business, and it's a really well-run well-run club. So, massive respect to them. And I, I think out of all of this, all of this mad transfer saga, Brighton are the only party really that come out looking really good because you've got Chelsea who I think the first bid was around 60 million pounds and it's almost ended up being double that so there was always there was always the Brighton asking for 100 million pounds and Chelsea haggling their way towards it and eventually sort of rising by five to ten million each time with their bids and then when Liverpool came in and agreed a fee with Brighton for about 110 111 million pounds or whatever it was um, it was, you know, despair for Chelsea fans. They thought they'd lost out and they, they're very critical of how the club handled their business and how they've 
ultimately weren't paying what was asked for Caicedo and looked like they were going to miss out on him. But thankfully for Chelsea fans, um, Caicedo only wanted them. Um, I think that picture of him with his mum from a few years ago in Ecuador, that obviously it was the announcement video in the end. Um, that shows how much he's loved Chelsea for a while. And it looked like, it looked like, sorry, it looks like it's his dream move. And watching his interview yesterday um, with the club, you can tell how ecstatic he is. And I think with a lot of players who sign, um, they have to say these things. But with Caicedo, it genuinely feels like the love for the club is there. And the fact that he only wanted Chelsea when a club like Liverpool, a massive club, you know, even though it's Europe, Europa League, they've, they've got European football this season and Chelsea haven't, and he still wanted to go with, go to Chelsea. So I guess that shows what an exciting project Chelsea have going on at the moment under Mauricio Pochettino. And it shows that Chelsea still have that pool, you know. We've seen it with Enzo Fernandez, Moises Caicedo, and there's another player we will talk about in a bit. Um, but yeah, it, it's a huge deal. The biggest deal of the transfer window for Chelsea definitely so far maybe the biggest of the window so there were Declan Rice in terms of the money but yeah I'm, I'm just excited now to finally see him in um, that blue shirt and hopefully this weekend yeah and yeah. I guess that, as you mentioned there certainly seems a Chelsea connection and a certain whether love's too strong depending on how cynical you are about the whole thing but he, he mentioned about Claude McAuley watching compilations of him as he was growing up, described himself as a Chelsea fan. Engolo um, Kante was one of his heroes. There's a great picture of him holding up, I think it's an Independiente de Valle shirt, the team he used to play for, and it's got Casido's name on the bottom and Kante's name going across the top. So there's certainly, you know, an investment in Chelsea from Casido. And, you know, even if you do want to be cynical about what salary may be paid or anything, this is a guy who's the youngest of 10 siblings. He's kind of, probably changing his life with this move. Um, I guess it would be understandable if he was appreciative to the club and obviously his entourage and Chelsea have been the club they want to move to. And I think, as you know, he is somebody who is for the future um, on an eight-year deal uh, that he's got, but he, he is very much for the now and very much something to get excited about, even if you do... Again, as you noted, see Chelsea as a bit of a, a loser in this deal because of the vast sum they've paid. And, and Liverpool, obviously, a loser in, in not landing the player. And as you said, Brighton, the, the big, big winners. This is something that could really help Chelsea progress. And we'll talk about Liverpool more in depth uh, later on. But, you know, we, we saw a hint of how good Enzo Fernandez can be when he was released into that more advanced position. And that combination is something you know for Chelsea fans to really get excited about. Yeah, absolutely. I think having someone like Caicedo as well, um, no disrespect to Conor Gallagher, who played well on Sunday, but having someone of Caicedo's ability behind him will get even more out of Fernandez. He, he'll trust even more. Like some instances, maybe he was a bit cautious to go forward on Sunday just because of, you know, Having someone like Gallagher, who's not a natural deep-lying midfielder, um, he maybe felt like he had to stay back a bit. But having someone like Garcedo, who can cover ground in a way that, you know, we've seen N'Golo Kante do for Chelsea over the years. He's very much of that ilk, he, the way he can just 
sort of being more than one place at one time. Um, he's very quick, uh, low center of gravity as well. So he's very good on the ball. I, th- I think, honestly, on paper, I think it looks like a the perfect matchup. But obviously, we, we will see. But there's massive hopes for this. And as a Chelsea fan who've seen their midfield almost forgotten about the centre center of midfield and transfer windows gone by, um, I know a lot of Chelsea fans have been calling for a proper defensive mid for absolute years now. And to get someone like Caicedo... Again, like what you said about overpaying, I'm I'm a big believer. If you're a Chelsea fan, it doesn't matter about what the fee. It's not it's not your money. It's what the club do with it. And you know, that's for Todd Bowley and Badal Egbali to worry about, and everyone up there. If you're a Chelsea fan, you've got him for 150 million pounds. So be it. He's he's a potentially world class player, if not already. And yeah, he's, he's going to improve this Chelsea team no ends. Absolutely no doubt about it, I think. Um, someone who's already proven it in the Premier League, I, albeit hasn't been doing it for years. He's, I think he's only picked up 40-odd appearances at Brighton. But by all means, that's a, that's a terrific player. And yeah, I'm really excited to see him and Enzo Fernandez and you know the likes of Andre Santos learning from both of them. He, even though Caicedo and Enzo Fernandez are so young, they're such good players that someone like Enzo, um, someone like Andre Santos, who's only a couple of years younger, can definitely learn a thing or two from them. Yeah, and you know, I think the other interesting kind of element to this, and of course, there's still another midfielder to talk about pretty soon. But Chelsea, at least with two of those midfielders now, have a midfield that's going to be valued in excess of 200 million pounds they've spent more than 800 million pounds in the uh opening what is it 14 months of the new ownership um this is obviously a project something where chelsea do want to create some kind of sustainable success and i think maybe we've done our predictions before i think i've said that you know maybe chelsea can finish fifth there's hope they can challenge at the very top. Maurizio Pochettino is obviously on a two-year deal. He said the only option at Chelsea is to win now. He's been very adamant about that. He's not wanting to give his squad any excuses in terms of, of what they can achieve, um, whether that be via injuries picked up to people like Christopher Unkunku or the situation they found themselves in at the start of the summer. But, you know... There are good teams out there, Manchester City, Arsenal. Is there more pressure on Chelsea to succeed and for Pochettino to deliver something, you know, relatively quick now? I think so. Um, I think a couple of pundits have made this point, Jamie Carragher, namely, uh, about Chelsea sort of having to win now. It's a bit of a weird one because all of these players they're bringing in are are still very young players and, um, like... Caicedo is 21, um, Romeo Lavia, who we'll talk about, is 19. These are still very young players, and I don't think it's one where they're going to come together and gel straight away, um, even though there might be some pressure for them to do that. I, I do think it will take its time, but I think when you look at the money Chelsea has spent over the last 14 months, like you said, I think there's got to be some pressure on them because it is crazy money. It's, it's money we've never seen before. Um, and by all means, you know, Todd Bowley looks like he's been smart with it in terms of getting around FFP. But I, I do, I do, yes, I do think it creates pressure on Chelsea. And 
it's one that Pochettino will know about for sure. And I, I do think even if this vast amount of money wasn't spent, I think Pochettino is a winner. I think he's someone who always looks to get his team to the very top of the division in whatever way he can. So I, I think it is going to be a difficult one for him to manage. But as I think we spoke about on our pod a few weeks ago, maybe a month ago, um, about what would be a success for Chelsea. And I, I still believe it will be top four this year. That'll be, I think that's about the ceiling Chelsea have this um, this season because you look at the likes of Manchester City, looked very good against Burnley w- without actually playing, you know, to the best of their abilities. You look at Arsenal, looked impressed at times against Forest um, and other teams in the league as well. I don't think Chelsea are at that level yet. So I do think if you can get top four and potentially win a domestic trophy in FA Cup or Carabao Cup, or at least get far in them and allow other players to play in those cups as well, I think that that's a successful Pochettino because it is his first season and he's, again, it's a completely new look squad. If you look at this squad, look at the squad now compared to what we ended last season with, it's unrecognisable almost. So it's another transitional period of Chelsea, but these transitional periods need to stop now. This is so as far as like this needs to be the last one for ages because we've had too many of these in the last few years. There needs to be more stability at the club. And I think next season was when the pressure really starts on Pochettino and Chelsea. Yeah. And maybe that pressure will start ratcheting up in, in the coming days as we see another big transfer fee spent on another young midfielder um romeo lavia is, is set to join the club um as Chelsea, i guess once again beat liverpool to a player um i think somebody who maybe seemed set for liverpool at one stage this summer but he's i think maybe having his medical medical in the coming hours days um at chelsea uh, having they've had a long-standing Interest in the player uh, who joined Southampton. I think there was an offer made last summer, even after he joined Southampton, which would have been quite quite the um, achievement to sign a player in that way. I think he played very well against Chelsea early on in that season at St Mary's as well. And there's obviously a relationship with Joe Shields there, who's kind of moved with Lavia between Man City, Southampton, and he's obviously moved on to Chelsea already a long time ago. And there's a relationship there. It's like, like what what's the latest on that, Bobby and? What do you make of, of another central midfielder joining? Yeah, um, it, by all means, it looks done, pretty much. Um, he had to choose between Chelsea and Liverpool, like Casado did, and chose Chelsea, fortunately for Chelsea fans. And yeah, from what, I've told, from what I'm told, that's a lot to do with Joe Shields. He, I think Shields brought him in at Southampton because um, he was head of recruitment there. And... Uh, built a very strong relationship with Lavia um, during their time down on the south coast and you're right Scott it did look like he was set for Liverpool I think Liverpool were despite Chelsea having an interest and they actually initially opened talks in the start of June Chelsea did but um, nothing sort of progressed they they opened initial talks Southampton just to see how they felt about the player and Southampton were willing to sell as long as their 50 million valuation was met and Liverpool, Liverpool knew that as well. And Liverpool had three bids, I think, all rejected initially. I think the highest was 46. And then last week, Chelsea just sort of came out of nowhere and bid 48 million, which was 
two million below Southampton's um, valuation. That was quite quickly rejected, and a lot of people were thinking, "Oh, have Chelsea moved on from Caicedo now?" But then, then followed like the crazy day that was Thursday, I think, when all of the Caicedo to Liverpool stuff was happening and Valvia stuff. So we we weren't really Ta- sure. Tyler Adams was coming to Chelsea. Yeah. Tyler Adams, I've completely forgotten about him. Um, yeah, got to feel sorry for Tyler Adams in this situation, really. Now it looks like he's off to Bournemouth, so good luck to him there. Um, yeah. So, like, yeah, Ch- Liverpool had the chance to sign Navia and didn't look like Chelsea were going to do anything about it if Liverpool had agreed the fee, but then Chelsea decided to. And I think, by all accounts, that was pushed forward by Joe Shields. And I know that he was very prominent in negotiations with the player. And he, yeah, he ultimately made his decision yesterday. Um, so that's Monday. We're recording this on a Tuesday. He chose Chelsea. And from then, you know, Chelsea, all, all they had to do was agree with the deal with Southampton. And, you know, Chelsea were happy to do that. And yeah, it, it looks like another midfield of Chelsea. And it, I think it's great. It's, a, it's going to be a great signing because he's won at 19 years old, even younger than Caicedo and less proven to an extent. And I think the fact that Caicedo is signing as well makes it makes a lot more sense because if Lavia had to come into the team and do it straight away and he was, you know, the sort of main man, then that, that could have been unnecessary pressure for him and for a teenager. But the fact that they've got Caicedo and Enzo Fernandez and they can sort of ease Lavia in however they want to use him, it might, might be one for might mean they change to a three-man midfield. That's probably another conversation for another time. But the fact they don't have to use him and rely on him straight away, I think, is great. And, yeah, really exciting talent. Um, one that I know Man City were also keeping a close eye on because they had that buyback clause next summer. But that will no longer be active when Chelsea do sign him, although I think Man City get quite a bit of money for um, from a selling clause. But, yeah, another exciting signing. Yeah, and it will be interesting to see how this midfield does develop. Um, there's all of a sudden a lot of central midfielders at Chelsea. We've got Caicedo, Enzo Fernandez, Andres Santos we've mentioned, obviously uh, Ugo Chukwu, who made his debut this weekend. Um, I guess there's a possibility for him to go out on loan. There's still Conor Gallagher there. His future is still be resolved. So certainly a lot still to pan out in the you know next just over two weeks of this transfer window. And I think things could still move in a lot of directions, but maybe by West Ham, we start to get to see some indication of how, you know, Mauricio Pochettino's plans formation wise pan out, who could be involved, who is included in that squad this weekend. So certainly one to watch out for, but we best keep things moving. And, you know, another deal done on Monday um, before all the, Jubilation of Moises Caicedo's announcement was Kepa Riza Balaga. He joined Real Madrid on loan for the season. He on fr- Friday, Pochettino noted that he would was ahead of Sanchez in Chelsea's um, quest to establish a number one goalkeeper. Forty eight hours later, he wasn't in the squad at all. Um, Pochettino had a conversation on Saturday where they decided that the kind of player not committed to the club wouldn't be involved in the squad and things moved quite quickly in terms of establishing 
that loan to Real Madrid as Kepa was afforded the opportunity to consider as possibilities. I think Bayern Munich also was said to be interested in him. Um, I think one that maybe, you know, six weeks ago would have seemed a very easy an obvious deal to do to get his wages off the books. We don't believe there's any, or we've not been informed of any kind of clause for Real Madrid to be obligated to take him on next year. He has two years remaining on his contract at the minute. Um, I will say, as we've been recording, I think he's been presented um, in Madrid uh, this lunchtime. And I think he's already said, I hope that with my performances, Real Madrid will decide to keep me after the loan. Um, and I think that's probably going to go a long way in deciding how successful that is. If they do find a new home for Kepa, that'll be massive and something they've struggled to do for a long, long time. And, and they have wanted a new number one. There's obviously been no kind of reassurance for him that he is that pos- position long-term at Chelsea because he hasn't been offered any kind of new contracts uh, despite Edouard Mendy leaving. I think the only concern for me with this deal is that Chelsea... For the last, maybe not quite six weeks, I think he was on international duty, but have prepared with the idea that he would enter the season as number one. He's kind of been learning the ways of Tony Jimenez and Pochettino's plans for playing out from the back. And now we're left in just a little bit of an uncertain position of who's Chelsea's number one option will be. Will they go and spend big this summer? Is Sanchez going to take that role? And I think, I don't know, it just feels like one of those unnecessary complications for the season. How do you feel about it, Bobby? Yeah, it's, it's one that happened very quickly. Um, like you said, it's something that Chelsea were sort of open to, at least, all summer, but haven't didn't have anything until recently. Obviously, Thibaut Courtois um, did his ACL, so it was a very sort of desperate move by Real Madrid, I guess. Um and one that didn't really involve too much risk. They take him on loan with no obligation to buy or whatever. Uh, he obviously has a real big chance now at Real. Um, he obviously did really well in Spain before with Bill Bell. Hasn't quite worked out for him in England. So, you know, good luck to him at um, Real. Hopefully he can sort of rekindle the form that saw Chelsea spend ludicrous money on him. Um, but it's going to be very hard for him to convince Real because they've obviously got when Courtois does come back he's obviously a world class goalkeeper and I, you know I don't think um, Real Madrid would really be willing to pay the wages of Kepa for him to be number two so it's one I can't really see happening but good luck to him and it is a weird one for Chelsea because obviously all the stuff you mentioned about him training um, all pre-season and you know planning to go in the season with him as number one also, the fact that he's, I think his contract's up in 2025. So by the time he returns, he'll have, you know, 12 months left on his deal. And it's going to be hard for Chelsea to ship him off, like we, we've known for years because of his high wages. I think I saw a figure the other day. I don't know how true it is, but he's on a, almost 200 grand a week, which is a lot, a lot of money. And, um, yeah, it's going to be difficult and it'll be even more difficult really with 12 months left in this deal unless Chelsea are willing to accept a really sort of low price for him and Kepa's willing to take a significant cut on his wages at another club. So it, it's one that I could definitely see by the time 2025 comes around him leaving on a free transfer because I don't think Chelsea would really want to negotiate those sort of terms again with Kepa. 
especially yeah. considering he's proven himself. And yeah, it's interesting. Robert Sanchez very much looked like a backup goalkeeper. Um, whether or not Chelsea going at now in the market, it's quite a limited market in terms of goalkeepers who are willing to leave. Like Chelsea have looked at Mike Magnan from um, AC Milan, but. I think he's quite settled there and he also wants Champions League football. So I, I think that's a no-go and Milan would want stupid money for him because he's one of the, you know, he's one of the top properties in the goalkeeper market right now. Um, they've looked at that Valencia goalkeeper as well, whose name I'm not even going to bother trying to pronounce. Um, but I think you all know who I mean. And he's, yeah, he's one they've looked at, but again, he would be very expensive. He, he'd probably be more open to a move being young and wanting to prove himself and obviously being at Valencia who, I don't think I've been doing that well, really, in recent seasons. So, yeah, I think it's one where it's going to be hard for Chelsea to get their top targets, especially now with, what, two and a bit weeks left of the window, I think. Um, so I could definitely see Robert Sanchez being the number one. It's hardly ideal for Chelsea. But again, I, I think it's they've known all summer. Well, they've known this year, really, since January. We were being told how they wanted a goalkeeper, a midfielder, a striker. Um, way before the transfer window opens. So I don't think necessarily, obviously without knowing exactly what goes on behind the scenes, I don't think they've necessarily prepared themselves in the best way for this. Because, yeah, like I said earlier, they've always been willing to let Kepa go. So I feel like there needed to be a bit more of a plan in place if they did let him go. Because, like I said, it almost got flung on them out of nowhere with Thierry Courtois injury. But we're not seeing much action from Chelsea in terms of going out and buying a new keeper now. So, and the fact they learned Sonino as well, like there was a thought that, you know, Sonino could be perhaps have a role at Chelsea this season, whether that's number two, but they've loaned him out and they've let, they've been left with, you know, Robert Sanchez, who I don't think really is seen as a long-term number one. Marcus Bettinelli, who's injured and not good enough to be, probably be a number two. He's probably suited to a number three role. Then they got Lucas Bergstrom, Jamie Cumming, who could obviously go out on loan. So it's just it's a bit uncertain at the moment. But I hope I hope Robert Sanchez can do well. Um I think against Liverpool he looked fine. He didn't really have too much to do. Um but he looked fine and I guess we'll see in the coming weeks um what sort of keeper Chelsea have in Robert Sanchez. Yeah, for sure. I think you probably summed that up pretty well, but I just wonder if Chelsea have given up hope of, you know, selling Kepa in, in any format and have conceded that he will leave in a free and maybe this year's just a year of his salary off off their sort of obligations. So yeah, certainly an interesting one to see. Obviously plenty of time in the transfer window. Chelsea haven't been frightened to do business like in recent seasons either. Perhaps perhaps a loan's on the cards. Who knows? But we will be keeping an eye on that one in the coming weeks. And that doesn't seem like you know, the end of the transfer business. We've obviously seen, as you kind of mentioned, the priorities we were told. It might have even been nearly a year ago that we kind of established that, but the goalkeeper, the striker, the midfielder. Chelsea have had a goalkeeper come in. Maybe still feels like they have another one. They've got the midfielder in Moises Casido. Perhaps more come in on that front. They've signed Nicholas Jackson up front and Christopher Nkunku. who's still potential that there's another forward to come in, but... I guess maybe the the next guy on the agenda is Michael Olise. Um What do you know about that one so far, Bobby? Yeah, he's someone Chelsea really like. Um, they've wanted a for a while now. They've wanted a sort of right winger who can play in the middle of the park, and 
at least they fits that bill. Um, obviously, they've looked at Kudus as well, who looked set for Brighton, but now apparently that move's not going to happen. Um, I was reading some on that last night. And yeah, so it seems like they've moved on to Elise and we were chatting off air about it. Uh, Crystal Palace sort of, it almost seems like they've accepted they're going to lose Elise. Um, Roy Hodgson spoke a few weeks ago and said that it's going to be really hard to keep a player of his, you know, his talent with Manchester City and Chelsea both interested. But it looks like Man City are now um, looking at other players. I think Jeremy Doku is close to signing for them. He's sort of the Riyad Mahrez replacement on that right-hand side. So it looks like they've sort of moved on from Elise, which I guess gives Chelsea more of a clear run at Elise. It's not advanced yet, but I know that Chelsea have been in contact with the players, the player and the players' representatives. And I think it's the feedback they got from it was quite positive. Um, haven't been told anything different. It, it would just come down to agreeing a fee with Crystal Palace. And, you know, Palace know how much money Chelsea have got, even though they have spent um, an awful lot already. So they'll be trying to get every penny out of Chelsea. Don't think it'll be a simple negotiation, but it's also a bit of a weird one as well because we don't know when he's back from injury. Of course, he hurt his hamstring in June, I think, playing for France under-21s. I think there's um, talk of it being October where he comes back or at least around then, late September. So it's, I guess it's not, there's no immediate rush for Chelsea um, in terms of getting it done within the next week or so. I, they've got the rest of the window to do it because he's not going to be available anyway. But yeah, de- definitely one to keep an eye on Scott. Um, for, for me, someone who obviously watches Chelsea every game, it's something I'd like to see because I think he's a terrific player and the, one of those players who sort of gets you on the edge of your seat. Um, really direct, uh, a proper like street footballer. Um, the touch of that Brazi- Brazilian flair about him. And yeah, um, definitely want to keep in line. Yeah, I think it's an interesting one. I think we maybe touched on this last week, but the possibility that he could be seen as a bit of a number 10 for Chelsea as opposed to a winger as well. Yeah, I, I think so. I think he's played there for Palace a few times and um, not quite sure, so don't quote me on it, but maybe at Redden too. Um, but it, it definitely looks like he definitely fits the profile of what Chelsea wants, someone who can do both. And I guess they wanted one anyway, but I guess with Nkunku being out for so long, it's kind of made it even more desperate, I suppose. Um, they haven't got too many options in the number 10 right now. And I know he didn't play it on... Sunday, but Pochettino, you'd think, would go back to the four-two-three-one we've seen we've seen in preseason, and then you've got not too many you can go there. You've obviously got Chukwueze, you've got Sterling, who's played there a bit for previous clubs, but there's just not too many in terms of number ten with the likes of Mason Mount and Kai Havertz. Even Christian Pulisic could play there, um, leaving this summer. So, yeah, d- d- definitely one where. You could definitely see him on in sort of in both roles in different games. Yeah, and I guess quickly just to run through before we move on, there's still plenty of possible loan deals to come through as well. Um, Harvey Vale, we're expecting to join Bristol Rovers. Um, I think you were mentioning earlier, Joey Barton's already revealed that to his Twitter subscribers. Sorry, not Twitter. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yes, yeah, certainly a sign of, of the changing world. So, Want to keep an eye on there. There's obviously Lewis Hall's future still to be resolved. I think he was expected to join Palace, but maybe 
that's kind of lingering around in the background a little bit now. Um, obviously, features of, of Romelu Lukaku, Hakim Ziyech still resolved. Things still slow moving in that direction. Callum Hudson, a doy. Um, yeah, and any other transfers you want to touch on, Bobby? Yeah, just a bit on Hudson Adoy. Um, it looks like Fulham for him. There's plenty of other clubs interested. I think Lazio have um, even expressed an interest, and Crystal Palace have been mentioned. Nottingham Forest sort of earlier in the window, but it looks like Hudson Adoy is sort of set for Fulham. Um, I guess it makes sense in terms of won't have to move house, being in West London and everything. So if he's already settled down, then he won't have to relocate or anything like that. Um, quite an exciting side for them, I think, where they've got a good manager, Marco Silva. And I know they've been on the lookout for wingers. They obviously re-signed William um, this summer and I think I've brought a few more in as well. So I think a good move for him. And, you know, he, he informed Chelsea that he wanted to leave earlier in the summer. And with a year left in his contract, I don't think Chelsea were ever going to hold him against that. Um, I think it makes sense for both parties to part company now. But... Yeah, just crazy when you think of the sort of money we were talking about the Hudson Adoy a few years ago. I think Chelsea rejected bids of like sixty to seventy million from Bayern Munich, and now it looks like he's going to leave for around between ten and fifteen million pounds um, a few years later. But I definitely still think there's a player there, and I'll be very sort of if he does indeed move to Fulham, I'll be very keen to see how he does, and hopefully he can get a run of minutes in the side because, like I said, I think there's a I think there's potentially a really good player there. Yeah, and I guess now we're 33 and a bit minutes into the podcast after that Liverpool game. Maybe we touch on Chelsea versus Liverpool at the weekend. Uh, A one-all draw to kick off the season. A fairly entertaining game, to be fair. Pretty back and forth, even if Chelsea did uh, prevent Liverpool from having more than one shot on target. Liverpool probably started the game the better. They were kind of rampant in the early stages with, with their press and Mohamed Salah's you know, quite frankly, outstanding pass to, to Lewis Diaz. Uh, put them in the lead. They obviously then had a, a goal disallowed for offside. Chelsea come back and Axel de Sassi on his debut uh, gets that goal. Um, we'll, we'll call it a poacher's finish in the box um, after Ben Chilwell's header back in and then Chelsea have a goal disallowed of their own. Ben Chilwell looking like a, a prime centre-forward as he rounded us, and I think... Um, and then I think Chelsea probably settled into the game a little bit the better. They probably, well, they dominated possession, probably looked the more comfortable the side, maybe the more likely to win. Um, but not not a bad first outing of the season. Yeah, no, I think there are so many positives for Chelsea to take. Um, yeah, like you said, I think Liverpool started the better and they were always going to come out and press Chelsea. That, you know, Pochettino would have known that for ages and Chelsea probably did struggle. I think the three centre-backs in particular sort of struggled at the start. I thought Colwell was having a hard time against Salah, which is no disgrace. Um, I think De Sassi had a couple of iffy moments and yeah. But once obviously Liverpool scored and like you said, it was a moment of magic from Salah and they had the one ruled out then the tide really turned. The game sort of changed then, I thought. And I think De Sassi's goal was literally minutes after the um, disallowed Salah goal. And from then on, I thought Chelsea controlled the game, really. Um, 
kept coming back for Liverpool. Like it seemed like every ball Liverpool played, Chelsea would just come back. Chelsea would dispossess it, come back, and it would just be sort of wave after wave. And I think Liverpool just couldn't get to grips with Enzo Fernandez. He, Chelsea were just looking for him at every possibility they could, and Liverpool were trying to block off that ball to him. But I, I think the sort of role, the role he played, the freedom he had, allowed him to move a lot more than usual, probably, and get into positions where Liverpool couldn't stop him, and he was popping up all over the shop. And I think genuinely, I, I can't remember where I said this. I might have just said it to a mate, but I think it was one of the best solo midfield performances I've seen live at a game. It was that good. It might sound ridiculous to say, but I genuinely do think it was that good. Um, completely controlled the game. And yeah, I, I think the performance of Enzo Fernandez just set the tone for Chelsea. And that's why I think it's so exciting. What we were talking about earlier, Moises Caicedo coming in alongside him. I think it's just going to make him even better. And yeah, he, the, the way he was, he wasn't, doing like 40 yard passes he was he kept doing like 20 yard passes and but every single time it would get Chelsea forward and I, I honestly can't remember him misplacing the pass but yeah loads of positives to take I thought obviously Fernandez thought Nicholas Jackson did really well about getting a goal um I don't it was weird I thought like him against Canate there were times where Canate looked like he had the better of him and then vice versa I think both of them did well against each other I think it was a good battle um, he had that one chance in the first half where maybe he should have scored and might have scored in pre-season but yeah I, I think there were definitely loads of positives to take um, I thought Ben Chilwell did well I thought the constant switch into him um, made, like his positioning was causing the ball all sorts of trouble he was definitely trying to get in behind Trent Alexander-Arnold that was definitely a plan from Chelsea but yeah yeah, Conor Gallagher as well I thought had a difficult opening 15, 20 minutes where Liverpool were, I guess, trying to take advantage of him being there and not being in um, his natural position and trying to overload him almost with that sort of box midfield they have. But I, I thought once he grew into the game, he, he was really good and made a load of good interceptions. And I think the fact that I was writing an article about him that had to be out on full time and I was saying <laughs> it, I led I led with Conor Gallagher not being very good there and then by the time full-time game I had to change it completely and said that he was really good but yeah so I, I think that says it all but yeah so loads of positives take from Chelsea yeah and I think you, you kind of mentioned that we saw a bit of a different shape uh from Chelsea in the game which probably surprised many after pre-season Pochettino in his press conference kind of I don't know he, he wasn't been fun but he, he made the point that it was still a back four this time it was no different to when his midfielder would drop in between the two central defenders to create the shape and obviously I guess the more we talk about football the more we see about shape changes in different phases but certainly interesting to see three central defenders start um I think as you know it was interesting to see Corwell have to deal with Salah kind of pretty much alone early on um I thought he grew into the game Thiago Silva still a class act I think I turned to you at Stamford Bridge and just kind of wondered how are any of these young guys actually going to you know, put in a performance where you say, now it's time to not play Thiago Silva anymore. Um, so that is going to be really interesting to develop over the course of this season because he will be turning 39. Um, mm -hmm. And then, as you said, De Sassi looked pretty strong again. Um, I think 
we both know that as the teams were lining up that he's he is certainly a unit uh is at six foot five he is bringing something to Chelsea's aerial presence in the box as well and that could be worth a few goals over the course of this season um but yeah I thought Ben Chilwell you mentioned his kind of battle with Trent I thought that was really interesting he was I guess not a wing back as such he was deemed a, a winger by Pochettino and then almost a central midfielder to kind of quash Alexander Arnold's development in the center of the pitch as well so that was a really interesting battle and I think I guess we're just starting to get the hints that Pochettino is going to have have his core principles he's going to want his side to run a lot to press a lot you know to build from the back with I guess a base of three um, but we're going to see lots of versatility uh, in, in the play as well um, I think another interesting combination we saw was Raheem Sterling and Reese James uh, they looked good down the right together. I think there's obviously going to be a lot of scrutiny over Raheem Sterling this season after he was signed to kind of be, for lack of a better phrase, the guy last year. Um, so there's still going to be a lot of pressure on his shoulders. Showed some moments going forward, getting in the box, had a couple of deliveries that weren't converted. Um, I guess what did you make of that partnership down the right? And I guess it is Sterling done enough to you know, keep keep his chance for the, for the next few games at least with obviously there's Mudrick to come off the bench Madweke was on the bench after kind of returned to fitness there's, there's certainly some contenders there yeah I thought he did alright um, it was interesting if you asked me before the game I thought that Chelsea would have been doubling up on Trent Alexander-Arnold being a sort of weaker defender than Andrew Robertson but they seem to do it on the other side and maybe that's something to do with Reese James's ability and what Pochettino has seen from Sterling and training or something. Um, but I thought, he, I thought he did all right, Sterling, without being exceptional. Like you said, I think he had a few moments. There was one where he was um, sort of got, did well to get inside the Liverpool box, whipped it across and I think it was a dangerous cross and Trent ended up heading it out for a corner. Uh, it's just sometimes I think it's, it's his passing that frustrates me more than anything because I think I think in his head he has the right like his decision making is fine, but I think his lack of don't really know the word, but like he, he just gives away the ball very often. His final ball is not very good, is what I'm trying to say really. Um and it hasn't really been for Chelsea since he signed. But I do I still believe there's definitely a player in there, but of course there is. I mean I've said it countless times on this show, I think he you don't just drop off that much over overnight. He was so good at Man City and you know, he was a, he was a constant starter under Pep Guardiola for years. You you don't you don't have that. You don't get that sort of status um, if you're not a world class player. And I just think he needs confidence more than anything. I, I remember towards the end of last season, he, he got a double against Forest. I think it was at home, and I thought maybe that's the time to kick on for him. Um, but he didn't do so well the next game and obviously it was sort of the end of the season so it was hard to build any momentum. But I, I just hope he does sooner rather than later because otherwise you could see him being sold in um, next summer for sure with his age and Chelsea still trying to get a decent fee for him. Um, whether or not, I think he probably will keep his place for West Ham because you've obviously got Noni Madueke who's the only real other right winger. Um, he hasn't played any football yet. Um, none at all in pre-season and that he didn't come on the other day either so I can't really see Pochettino starting him maybe hopefully he gets some minutes from the bench and then he could be in contention for Luton the week after but yeah I think Sterling probably will keep his place and 
Uh, sorry, there's a dog barking outside. I don't know if you can hear it. Uh, avid um, Raheem Sterling fan, I think. Yeah, yeah. He's going absolutely mental. Um, but yeah, I, I think he probably will keep his pace against West Ham, but more to do with the lack of options there, really. Yeah, and um, I guess we can maybe touch on that West Ham game now. Another Sunday at 4.30 game. I think coming into the season, we probably expected this Liverpool match to be a real big test and then Chelsea have an opportunity to go on a run and really set themselves a platform and if they don't perform they put themselves under a great deal of pressure uh, West Ham is the only away game in the first few they got Luton Town after that before facing the FC Wimbledon in the cup uh, which was drawn last week and then obviously Nottingham Forest is the game that comes after the transfer window shuts um, and then comes the international break before they return to face Bournemouth, so certainly some some winnable games there. West Ham got their season underway this weekend with a draw against Bournemouth. Um, I believe they led the game um, before Jarrett, uh, Dominic Solanke uh, of Chelsea and Liverpool, uh, interest of course, uh, scored a late equaliser uh, in the 82nd minute. Um I think much like Chelsea's game against Liverpool, Chelsea will probably expect to dominate it. Bournemouth dominated possession against West Ham. I think West Ham only had about 37% possession. They, of course, have Declan Rice's hole in the centre of the field to fill. They have signed uh, Edson Alvarez, who you know nearly joined Chelsea last summer. Um, if, if Ajax had been more willing to do the deal at that stage, I think Suchek and Paqueta uh, played there last weekend. I guess, what what do you expect from that game? And uh, I guess it's certainly an afternoon where Chelsea will be desperate to get three points to, to really kickstart the season. Yeah, just a quick one. Has James Ward-Prowse signed yet? Ah, I think he might have done, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Think, he I think that's a good sign in, um, first and foremost, I think. Yeah, um, Ward-Prowse will help without being the same player as Rice and even the same role, I think that will help in terms of having a leader there as well. Um, Edson Alvarez is an interesting one. Like you said, he's been on Chelsea's radar for a while and I think he actually went to West Ham this summer for less money than Chelsea offered last summer um, to Ajax, which seems a bit strange, but definitely one with potential and I don't think he played on at a weekend, did he? But he's... No. Um, You'd expect to get some sort of minutes against Chelsea. Um, he's definitely a you know a really strong, tall number six who will be hoping to limit Chelsea's attack. But I, yeah, I didn't watch any of um, West Ham Bournemouth, obviously. But it's really hard to sort of know what you're going to get at West Ham this season. They've sold a couple of good players, and I think only really recently they've made their first signing. I think maybe Alvarez was their first signing, and they were that one club who hadn't made any or whatever. Um, but obviously losing Declan Rice is going to have an effect on any team. But I think, you know, London, have a London stadium against West Ham, it, it's going to be a hard game. I don't think Chelsea have ever really had it too easy there. Um, fans will be right up for it as well, you know, um, start of a new season. And yeah, I, I guess it's like a bit of a easy thing to say really, but with like a lot of teams this season, you don't really know what you're going to get. And I think Chelsea are still can still fall under that um, bracket, really. So, yeah, an interesting one for sure. But one you'd like to think Chelsea would be confident of winning because of the sort of moments they produce. They can play anything like they did in that, particularly that second half against Liverpool, then 
you know, they should easily have too much for West Ham, but it, it, it's replicating that. And we, we all know how much Chelsea have struggled with being consistent over the seasons. I think that's one thing in particular that Pochettino needs to get across to his squad to keep those levels up, not get complacent against lower half team, lower league teams or whatever. Um, so, yeah, yeah, it'd be a really interesting game. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I guess what one question which I will, I guess, pin you down on. I'll have a second as well, but we'll start off with the team that uh, Pochettino might pick. And I'm just wondering, looking at this big back line, there's perhaps an expectation that we, you know, see them return to two central defenders and and maybe um, the base of two with the number 10 and then a front three again, maybe, um, or at least with two wingers. Who would you think would be that defensive partnership or do you think that we will get three defenders again? I think we'll go back to a, um, we'll see a four-two-three-one again. <clears throat> I think the f- well, even though Pochettino didn't say it was a three at the back, I think it kind of was to be honest. Um, I think that was more to do with the opponent in Liverpool, um, almost trying to go man-to-man with their three um, attacking players. And again, sort of catch Liverpool by surprise, really. Like Klopp wouldn't have been expecting that on Sunday, so. I think there's a lot of that. I, I don't think it's a long-term thing. Otherwise, I think we would have seen a lot more of it in um, America. We largely just saw the sort of four-two-three-one we expected for Pochettino um, during the preseason. Sort so, I, I do think it'll probably be that. Um, unfortunately for Axel Zazi, I think he drops out, even though he did impress and score, of course. But I, I do think Thiago Silva and Levi Colwell are going to be the main two guys at the back this season. Um, it's not to say Desassi won't get minutes because obviously injuries and etc. Like, And obviously Thiago Silva being 38, almost 39, like you said, he's not going to start every game. So there's going to be opportunities for Desassi, but I do think he'll probably drop out this weekend. And, you know, Robert Sanchez in goal, of course, not, no one really else to go there. Um, the two fullbacks, as you expect, Reese James and Ben Chilwell. And then, Caicedo and Enzo Fernandez, which is really exciting to watch. And yeah, I, th- I think the the three behind the striker is very interesting. Um, I'd like to personally see Mikhailo Modric play, um, but who that who that's in place of, I'm not I'm not really sure. Um, I think Chukwemeka has a real good shout of going in my number ten. I think he did okay against Liverpool without properly excelling. I guess. Um, Perhaps wanted a bit more from him, but if I'm being a bit harsh, maybe. But he's, yeah, he's one I really like. And uh, I think in the number 10 role, it's something that could potentially work really well. And Raheem Sterling on the right, and then Nicholas Jackson up front, if you were to put me on the spot for a team. Um, that's kind of what I'd like to see more than what I expect. Say what I expect, then perhaps not Mudrick starting. But yeah, at this point, who knows? <laughs> and you know, unpredictable as it is, score prediction. Um, I, think I mean, the game—the Chelsea... game is nearly a week away, so <laughs> I'll not hold you to it by Friday. But yeah, I think Chelsea will win. I think I don't think it'll be easy. I think it'll be a—you know—both teams score. Um, I don't. Yeah, like against Liverpool, there were a few moments where I thought Chelsea's defense looked very shaky and 
that might have been down to you know Liverpool having world class attackers and Salah and Diaz and Jota, but I yeah, I can't really see this team going ninety minutes and keeping a clean sheet just yet. Obviously, Caicedo in might help that um, offer more protection, but I'm going to go two one to Chelsea. Yeah, that's the scoreline I had in my mind as well. I think what will help Chelsea. Yeah, you're, going to to say, you're going to have to say different now. <laughs> well, I'll go 3 1, Chelsea, and I'll be confident. Yeah. Nicholas Jackson hat trick. Why not? Nicholas um, Jackson. I do think a, a goal would be big for him, though. I thought he was really good last weekend. And, you know, just to really help that confidence flow, a goal wouldn't do any harm. But I think, much like the first game um, of uncertain midfields, it's probably going to be similar with West Ham, as we kind of talked about with. Alvarez and Ward Prowse coming into the team. Maybe there's a bit uncertainty over who who could fill that midfield for West Ham, like there is a degree for Chelsea. They've got a week to to work on it, of course. But I think that's where a team might have had a benefit against Chelsea as as they still try to kind of work that midfield area out, even though they probably have a good idea of what they want from it now. And West Ham don't really have that advantage. So hopefully that works in Chelsea's favour and Chelsea have a little bit better time than they did last time at London Stadium. Where it's a bit of a tense game after Joe Felix's first goal. Um, but I guess we'll end things there. Um, we'll be back again next week. But until then, we'll have all the latest transfer news on football.london throughout this week and all the action from the London Stadium this weekend, too. And of course, Mauricio Pochettino's press conference on Friday. Um, so, yeah, please do leave us a review. Make sure you subscribe. And we'll speak again next week. Thank you for joining us.